Section 34 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Oregon, Its History, Geography, and Resources by John H. Mitchell. The Oregon Caves. Scarcely less wonderful than the mysterious crater lake are the caverns of the Oregon Mountains. The Josephine County Caves, about 30 miles from the railroad southwest of Grant Pass, will be found when thoroughly explored, it is believed by those who know most about them, to be as extensive and wonderful as the Mammoth Cave of Kentucky. These caves were discovered but a few years ago by a hunter named Elijah Davidson, who followed a bear to its lair in the lower cave. The entrance to each of the caves, one located higher in the mountain than the other, is about eight feet wide and seven feet high. They contain a great number of wonderful avenues, said to be miles in length, besides a large number of chambers, grottoes, lakes, abysses, and cataracts, and also innumerable chambers, large and small. The first chamber is ten feet in height one called the devil's banquet hall is one hundred fifty feet in length by seventy-five feet in width and sixty feet in height its roof and walls are brilliant with hundreds of scintillating stalactites the only exploration of these wonderful caverns has been by private parties a thorough scientific exploration should be made at an early day and it is my intention to ask an appropriation from the next congress for such purpose the great wheat-producing inland empire the vast fertile grain-producing valleys of oregon are the willamette the rogue river the umpqua and that portion of what is known as the great inland empire which lies in eastern oregon the willamette extends from portland to the kalapuya mountains thirty miles south of eugene a distance of over one hundred fifty miles in length by an average of seventy-five miles in width this valley is famed as one of the most fertile and productive in the world. There is scarcely an acre of wasteland in this vast area of 12,000 square miles. It is a great Miocene basin. Fossils of the Miocene age are found there in abundance. The greater portion of it is under improvement, but much of it is held in large tracts of 640 acres, being the donations made to settlers by the Act of Congress of September 27, 1850. Nearly the whole of it is well watered by streams, a very small proportion requiring irrigation. It produces wheat, oats, barley, corn, all kinds of vegetables, and fruits in abundance. The Willamette Valley is alone capable of sustaining a population of five million souls, and even then the population would be but a fraction in excess that of Belgium to the square mile and less than that of England by 102 to the square mile. The productive capacity of the Inland Empire in eastern Oregon is something wonderful. Thirty years ago, not a bushel of wheat was raised in that entire empire, although across the line near Walla Walla, some 300 bushels of wheat were raised by Dr. Whitman at his mission in 1841. Commodore Wilkes, a portion of whose party visited this mission in that year, so reports. Twenty years ago, the coming fall, I left the Central Pacific Railroad near Salt Lake and journeyed westward through the northern Utah and eastern Oregon. 
The first wheat of any importance was grown in eastern Oregon that year. There was a 33-acre lot located near where the town of Weston, Umatilla County, now is, and immediately outside the boundaries of the Umatilla Indian Reservation. The crop had been taken off before my arrival. The wheat stubble being so abundant, I was amazed and expressed surprise to my host, with whom I remained overnight, that there should be such a fertile spot in this vast desert, as the whole country seemed to me to be little less than a desert. He smiled and replied that the tract on which this wheat had grown was the same character as land of the whole surrounding country, including the greater portion of the Umatilla Indian Reservation. I obtained a sack and immediately outside of the field, digging down some six or eight inches, filled it with a pack of soil. I brought it with me to Washington, took it to the late Professor Henry, then secretary of the Smithsonian Institution, and requested that he analyze it and tell me its properties and what good for. He inquired, Where did you get this soil? I replied, West of the Rocky Mountains. Professor Henry remarked, That is rather indefinite. But, Professor, said I, I shall not tell you whether it came from California, Oregon, the Willamette Valley, or the top of Mount Hood. He made a very interesting report in which it was stated that he regarded the soil as the best wheat-producing soil he had ever examined, that it contained properties very similar to the soil of Sicily, where wheat had been raised for two thousand years without exhausting the soil. The report further stated that the soil was of such character that it would fertilize itself as cultivated, that it would not be necessary to let it rest after a crop or two, as in many portions of the country, or to fertilize it. The predictions made in that report have been amply verified. Two years ago, I visited Umatilla County and what was formerly the Umatilla Indian Reservation, and was told that there had been raised and harvested that year in that county alone over 4,500,000 bushels of wheat that this single county will produce five million bushels of the best quality of wheat the present year or an amount considerably more than was produced in eighteen ninety three in any one of twenty-one different states in the union i have not the slightest doubt in addition it is estimated that there will be shipped the present year from the city of pendleton the county seat of umatilla county located on the transcontinental railroad five million pounds of wool while from the Dalles, the county seat of Wasco County, an equal quantity will be shipped. A large portion of the state, notably Umatilla, Union, and Baker counties, with several others in the eastern section, and Coos and Curry counties in the southwestern portion, are admirably adapted to sugar beet culture. The beets grown here are said to yield a larger percentage of saccharine matter than those produced elsewhere, while 20 tons per acre is a moderate estimate of the annual crop. THE FORESTS OF OREGON Another source of immense wealth in the state of Oregon is her forests. No state in the Union has a greater variety of valuable trees or fine woods. These include sugar pine and silver pine, cedar, red, yellow, and white fir, redwood, and spruce of different varieties, ash, hemlock, maple, myrtle, white oak, laurel, alder, dogwood, wild cherry, hazel, Chittimwood, and Oregon U. Three species of poplar, the quaking asp, cottonwood, and balsa tree, live oak and chestnut oak, nutmeg, tamarack, 
mountain mahogany, juniper, birch, box elder, and many other varieties. In addition, there are vine maple growing from 6 to 12 inches in diameter and from 12 to 30 feet in height. The Oregon crabapple, which grows in groves, making the forest impenetrable for man or beast, and many other varieties. The Oregon cedar grows to an immense size. It is no uncommon thing in the forests of Tillamook and Coos counties on the coast to find vast forests of these 10 to 12 and often 15 feet in diameter and from 200 to 250 feet in height. The Oregon sugar pine grows to 250 feet in height, bearing cones from 12 to 18 inches in length. The mills of Oregon manufacture over 250 million feet of lumber annually. Game The forests of the state are filled with all kinds of game, including bear, elk, deer, grouse, prairie chicken, pheasants, Chinese or denny pheasants, a most delicious game bird introduced from China by Honorable O. N. Denny of Oregon, while United States Consul General at Shanghai quail, and other varieties of game birds. The rivers and lakes are during the summer filled with game fowl, including canvasback and teal of excellent quality. Precious and Other Metals No state in Oregon is more highly favored in natural endowments than Oregon. Her resources, developed and undeveloped, are almost as varied as are the gifts of nature, and their value cannot be estimated. Her mines, though only partially developed, are rich in the precious metals, as also in iron, coal, nickel, copper, cinnabar, asbestos, tin, marble, onyx, limestone, sandstone, granite, and dolomite. A recent writer on the geologic formations of Oregon remarks that the igneous rocks of southern Oregon are said to contain all the zeolitic minerals, and some geologists believe precious gems of no small worth. Already more than $25 million in gold have been taken from the placer mines in two counties in the state, Jackson and Josephine in southern Oregon. Eastern Oregon is rapidly developing into a great gold and silver producing region. Capital only is required to make it one of the most valuable mineral fields on the Pacific coast. Oregon has an abundance of the very best quality of iron ore. Clackamas County, in particular, abounds in this mineral. Extensive ironworks are in progress in Oswego, in that county, located on the Willamette River, 18 miles from its mouth and 7 miles from Portland, and large amounts of pig iron are produced annually. Grains and Fruits, Rivers, Harbors, Railroads, etc. The resources of Oregon are not confined to her mountains or her rivers. Her valleys are fertility itself. Wheat, oats, corn, barley, hops, flax, hay, and other grains and grasses. Apples, pears, peaches, apricots, plums, prunes, cherries, nectarines, grapes, and other varieties of small fruits and berries are all products of her soil. The natural advantages of the state are all that could be desired. A seacoast of more than 400 miles indented with numerous capacious bays and storm-protected deep-water harbors. The Columbia, the Tillamook, the Nehelam, the Joaquina, the Alsea, the Suslaw, the Umpqua, the Coquille, Coos Bay, and Port Orford, capacious enough to protect in safety all the navies of the world, a mighty river on its north draining a basin of 395,000 square miles, including its tributaries, which combine 
twelve degrees of latitude and thirteen of longitude the main columbia is navigable seven hundred twenty five miles from its mouth with two interruptions the first at the cascades one hundred fifty miles from the mouth where there is a fall of three hundred feet in four miles and where a canal and locks being constructed by the general government will be completed in the present year and another at the dalles of twelve miles where the general government has taken steps looking to the construction of a boat railway willamette river is navigable for one hundred forty miles the snake for one hundred fifty miles the falls of the willamette at oregon city are estimated at one million horsepower the fall is forty feet here a great electric plant has been established within the past two years at an expenditure of several million dollars and this vast water power is being utilized in oregon city and in portland twelve miles distant in manufactories of various kinds and in electric lighting the salmon fisheries of columbia river the salmon fisheries of columbia river are the most extensive and profitable in the world and a source of immense wealth it is but thirty-three years since the first fishery for catching and barreling salmon was established there and not until eighteen sixty seven was the first fish cannery erected the purpose of the latter being to preserve salmon in cans fresh spiced and pickled there are today some thirty-eight canneries on the columbia river in which are invested more than five million dollars capital more than four thousand men are employed during the fishing season canned salmon are shipped by rail across the continent and by ships to all parts of the world a cargo frequently is valued at a quarter of a million dollars and single cargoes have gone out occasionally of the value of over three hundred thousand dollars the salmon season commences in may and ends in august the fish are caught mainly by drift gill nets ranging in length from one hundred twenty feet to six hundred feet many salmon are also taken by traps and fish wheels in the single year eighteen eighty five hundred thirty eight thousand five hundred eighty seven cases of salmon were canned on the columbia river having an export value of two million six hundred fifty thousand dollars the average salmon weighs about twenty pounds and they are packed three to a case making a catch that year of about one million six hundred thousand salmon salmon is by no means the only food fish produced in large numbers in the columbia river sturgeon flounder smelt tom cod and salmon trout exist in abundance and within the last few years shad weighing from three to four pounds have been plentiful other waters in the state of oregon are full of salmon salmon fisheries are carried on extensively in tillamook bay nehelam bay nestuka bay and northwestern oregon and in the rogue susla coquille and other rivers in central and southwestern oregon dairy interests several of the coast counties especially clatsop tillamook columbia douglas coos and curry in addition to their extensive and valuable lumber interests and in some cases notably clatsop columbia tillamook and coos their valuable coal deposits are especially well adapted to dairying and immense quantities of butter and cheese are annually produced railroad facilities in addition to the great facilities resulting from grand navigable watercourses and capacious coast harbors with which oregon is so bountifully blessed the state is no longer isolated by reason of lack of railroad transportation facilities 
the city of portland the metropolis of the state with a present population of more than eighty thousand people and an annual trade of over one hundred forty million dollars is the western terminus of five transcontinental railroads the southern pacific the union pacific in connection with the oregon short line and the line of the oregon railway and navigation company the northern pacific the great northern and the canadian pacific besides these several state railroads center here in addition to this the city of portland is the head of ship navigation on the waters of the columbia located on the willamette river twelve miles from its mouth and to which ships of all nations of whatever draft steam and sail come and go without interruption the great warships of the navy the baltimore the chicago and the monterey have all been in her harbor within the past two years but not only so there are regular lines of first-class ocean steamers running weekly between san francisco california and wakina bay oregon connecting the oregon pacific railroad a first-class full-gauge road now constructed and running regularly from wakina bay eastward across the entire willamette valley and which i am credibly advised will within the present year be extended to a transcontinental connection another line of steamers plies weekly between san francisco and coos bay oregon a railroad is now under construction connecting astoria oregon with portland and the great transcontinental lines of railroad other lines of railroad are being projected and built in oregon one connecting the valleys of the willamette umpqua and rogue rivers with the waters of coos bay on the pacific ocean the interior cities of the towns of eastern oregon are rapidly being connected with branch lines this has already been done to weston athena hepner and other important points demand for the nicaragua canal the people of oregon although blessed with innumerable blessings and endowed with commercial advantages not common to states and people generally nevertheless are in want of one thing we want our interests demand and we must and will have at no distant day a ship canal crossing the isthmus of nicaragua the interests not only of oregon but of the pacific coast of the whole nation and of all the civilized nations of the globe demand it with one voice and with no uncertain sound should the people of all the commercial and civilized nations of earth demand the speedy construction of this great work so absolutely essential to the commercial necessities of the age and the proper advancement and promotion of the enlightened civilization of the country in which we live we of the pacific coast are no longer unimportant factors in the trade and commerce of the world when dr marcus whitman crossed the continent in eighteen forty two forty three to save oregon to the union the trade of the pacific coast with foreign or domestic ports amounted to nothing today our trade with great britain france germany belgium cuba and brazil to say nothing of our trade with china japan and the sandwich islands amounts in value to more than four hundred fifty million dollars annually give us the nicaragua canal and we will then stand erect in every element which constitutes independent commercial supremacy capable of meeting every home want of whatever nature we become at once and forever a formidable competitor for our surplus products not only in the home market but in all the markets of the world conclusion in conclusion i cannot better personify the state of oregon 
than by employing the language of that gifted writer the author of atlantis arisen she said i know how if i were a painter i should personify the young giant oregon lithe strong beautiful should he be with empire written on his brow and power tempered by mildness beaming from his eyes a fair complexion he with tawny blond hair and curly golden beard his robe should be of royal purple embroidered with wheat ears and his crown of tarnished gold his throne should be among the rugged mountains with a lake at his feet rolling yellow plains on one hand and smiling green valleys on the other his sceptre shaped like the tapering pine should be of silver set with opals emeralds and diamonds on his right should roll the magnificent columbia to which ships in the distance should seek entrance and over his shoulder the white crest of mount hood stand blushing in a rosy sunset the names and memories of the brave pioneer men and women who laid the foundations of empire in the wilds of oregon deserve to be forever perpetuated not only in their country's history but in the reverential hearts and minds of the people of the present and all future generations there is something strangely dramatic also sublimely pathetic in the strange scene of hundreds of men with their wives and little ones bidding farewell to their friends to home to civilization and starting on a journey of ox teams a distance of three thousand miles across a trackless waste and over rugged unexplored mountains the way obstructed by numberless bridgeless rivers yawning desolate canyons and parched repellent deserts with a view of establishing new homes amid all the perils incident to a wilderness inhabited only by savage men and beasts many of these brave men and women never lived to reach their destination but fell by the wayside like harvey's ships that sailed for many isles but never came to shore but leaving the lonely grave of the loved one in the desert the body soon to be devoured by the hungry wolf of the plain the brave column of survivors sustained by wordsworth's amaranthine flower of faith and the language of milton finding new hope springing out of despair moved on and on and although in the words of southey no station is in view nor plain grove islanded amid the waste they still press on and on over burning deserts and trackless mountain steeps until at last they rest in the cooling shades of the continuous woods where rolls the oregon as a factor in the civilization of america and of the age in which we live oregon as a state challenges attention civilization over two hundred years ago marshaled its battalions and took up its line of march in the orient gathering strength with the steady advance of its conquering column the tread of its victorious legions among the mountains and over the plains of the distant west signaled the rapid approach of the builders of empire and though beauteous in its infancy grand in the clear light of the orient in the early morn of its existence may we not expect that the state of oregon will realize its grandest achievements amid the glories of accumulated splendor in the distant occident it was truly a grand conception a sublime thought inspired by an almost supernatural prescience on the part of coleridge when more than half a century ago he in his table talk gave utterance to this sentence the possible destiny of the united states of america as a nation of an hundred million free men 
stretching from the atlantic to the pacific living under the law of alfred and speaking the language of shakespeare and milton is an august conception the time is rapidly approaching when more than one hundred million of freemen breathing the pure air of liberty inspired by one common sentiment of patriotism sharing the blessing of a free country upholding one flag respecting and abiding by the same code of laws honoring and revering the memories of the men who laid the foundations of the republic loving the same country and worshiping the same god shall fill this great land from sea to sea with the glad anthems of a free courageous independent and happy people end of section thirty four end of the national geographic magazine volume six